I'm happy to announce that since recording this episode, that Sika Henry has obtained her pro card. She is now the first professional Black female triathlete, and I couldn't be more proud. She obtained her pro card at Challenge Cancun, which is a half Ironman distance race. She was the third overall amateur female. Prior to this race, she also completed in Challenge Miami. So listen how she was determined and did not let obstacles stand in her way. How despite having a tragic injury, she came back and completed her goals. She did not let the obstacles prevent her from making it to her finish line. That is, I felt as much as I wanted to just walk and quit, like the importance of still moving forward. Like you really do not know what you're capable of unless you put yourself in a position to see what you're capable of, really. And that's what I learned. So like looking back, like there were so many times when I could have quit and I felt like I had justifiable reason. Like I had a horrible crash over in the year. It was my first full Ironman. It's at the world championships. And I had just raced Augusta two weeks before. So I started going through a long list of reasons why it was okay for me to quit, but I had to just keep talking myself out of it. And I kept thinking about how depressing the flight home, like with my dad flying back, if I quit, like how sad we were both going to be if I did not finish the race, but how awesome and amazing like that night and the days after we're going to feel if I finish. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. I am your host, Dr. Weta L. Brown. I inspire and promote movement. I explain how running adds to life from a mental wholeness aspect. How obstacles can be overcome in life to make it to your finish line. Welcome to Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast, episode 28. Today, I welcome someone I've admired for years, Sika Henry. She is a competitive triathlete and a corporate analyst based in Newport News, Virginia. She currently works as a full-time analyst for Ferguson Enterprises. She grew up just outside of New York City. She was a swimmer in high school and a collegiate high jumper. Sika became an NCAA All-American in track and field while earning her Bachelor's of Science in Economics from Tufts University. She is a 2019 Ironman World Championship finisher, five-time Ironman 70.3 age group podium winner, and two-time marathon champion. She has been featured in USA Triathlon Magazine and the Washington Post. She enjoys writing and has contributed to Triathlon Business International, LowTwitch.com, and various other publications. She is very passionate about increasing diversity within the sport of triathlon. African Americans presently only make up 0.5% of the sport. Sika's goal is to earn her pro card in triathlon and continue being an advocate for diversity. She also enjoys sharing her journey on her blog. Welcome, Sika Henry. Thanks again for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, in, I'm excited. So you've always been an athlete. What motivated you to be an athlete as a child? I wouldn't say I was motivated. I didn't have a choice. Okay. <laughs> blame it on my parents. They never gave me the option. It was always, you are going to be in a sport. It's all I've known. I don't know life without sports and athletics. And yeah, even uh, I did gymnastics as a child. And then when I wanted to leave that behind, they were like, okay, well, what's the next sport you're going to do? Like, okay, I guess I'll get into swimming when I was kind of burnt out by that. 
my senior year of high school, I'm like, well, I've always wanted to try track and I wanted to see how much I could excel at uh, high jump was what I gravitated towards in track and field. And I'd already gotten into college and I was a walk-on and I don't know, I guess I just never envisioned life without sports because of my parents. So when you were in high school, what was your favorite sport or did you have one? You said you went from gymnastics to swimming to track. Uh, I'd say to spectate, to watch gymnastics, it still is. I absolutely love it to do. I don't know. It, nothing has ever really come natural to me. It's always been like a really bright. <laughs> <You're> really? Like, <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> I don't myself naturally athletic into it. So but I would say to do, I, I loved high jump. Just like the intricacy of understanding your form and steps and power and working on strength and, and little things like that. So what made you swim? Because I know traditionally in African-American communities, swim is not really a big sport. And a lot of African-Americans don't know how to swim. I know I didn't really learn until I was an adult, even though I took swimming lessons, but I never learned as a child. Um, yeah, my parents, my brother and I, my little brother, um, we both took lessons and we were only a few months old, actually. And then we have a in our backyard so it was really important that we both knew how to swim and like when we had friends over and stuff it was important that they knew how to swim as well so um, we also travel a lot growing up I would travel usually like three times a year internationally with my family we go to the islands and you know stuff like that and swimming was always a big part of the trip like snorkeling and being on a beach and playing in the water and swimming and water like just in general, scuba diving, stuff like that's been really big part of my life growing up. In terms of sports, I'd say I was just never good at what's it called? Like hand, eye, or both, like hand eye coordination. Yeah, I, I was just never good at it. I want, I tried volleyball, that didn't work out. I tried basketball. My parents had me in softball. Like I was just never any good, but I was okay with individual sports. Like, swimming. So that was the one that I picked. So in college, you were um, a high jumper. Did you do any other events in track? Uh, yeah, 200, 400. I ran on the four by four relay. But in terms of long distance and endurance, no. <laughs> I didn't even like to run a mile to warm up. I'm like, it's too much. It's too long. She would have me, my coach, she would have me run. I do a long, I call, I would call it a long distance run. It was three miles. It's the loop that we had to do by school. And it just, it was so long. I mean, I'm like three miles. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so what got you from thinking a mile was too long into running marathons? Years and years <laughs> of uh, trying to change my concept of what distance truly is. I guess we just talked about bucket lists actually before you hit the record button. And on my bucket list was doing a marathon. So after I graduated college, I was working in uh, Midtown Manhattan in, in New York City. And I got out of shape because, you know, wasn't in, in sports anymore. I was working really long hours, but um, I had always wanted to try a marathon. I grew up right outside of New York City. So I spectated the New York City marathon growing up. And then um, I went to Tufts University, which is right outside of Boston. So every year, my roommates and I would watch the Boston Marathon. So it was kind of something that I was always interested in trying. But I, so I, I registered for one, the Atlantic City Marathon in New Jersey. I did not prepare properly at all. I did all the things you're not supposed to do. Like you're supposed to learn practice hydration. I would go out and run and not bring any fluids or anything and just feel like I was going to pass out by the end of the run. I didn't even do like a half marathon beforehand or a 10K or anything to prep for it. I think I did one 20 mile run. It was just a disaster in the making. So needless to say, my first marathon experience, it was memorable, but it wasn't, it wasn't a good memory. So did, was it rough the whole 26.2 or was it toward like the end? Okay, this was a time when I wasn't familiar with like Garmin and pacing and anything like that. So I was literally just wearing like an old Timex watch. So I had no idea, no awareness of what my pace was, but I felt good up until 16. And then I started filling it at 17. And because I wasn't taking in gels and I wasn't hydrating properly or anything, I got really sick. I started being pretty bad around. And then I was walking and then I was jog walking and I just, I wanted to quit. And my best friend was actually there. I didn't see her, but I saw somebody on the side of the road with a, like a spectator with a cell phone. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, can I use your phone, please? And they're like, okay. And I tried calling my friend. I want her to just pick me up so that okay. I can go home. This was in the middle of the race. And she didn't <laughs> answer the phone. So I was like, oh, crap. What am I going to do now? Yeah, keep going. <laughs> so I had to finish the marathon. But the shocking thing is somehow through all that walking and puking, I still broke four hours. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? So I figured if I train properly and took in fluids at every station and, you know, got, got the whole gel concept going and actually did the 20 mile runs and, and preparation and did half marathons and stuff. I figured that I'd be okay. This time I did one. So after the first one, you were like, I'm going to do this, try this again. No, I, no. Said again. <laughs> I thought that I would be okay if I did prep for, but I was like, nah, I'm not putting myself through that ever again. But like most people, you know, that, that those feelings fade and you're like, I want to see like, you know, maybe, maybe I, I'll give this another try. So I did, I prepped properly for it. I started doing long runs and before I did it, I actually did my first uh, triathlon. So it was just a sprint and I want to say all of the swimming and biking, it really built me up aerobically. Um, I went from, you know, not being able to break 20 minutes in a 5k and stuff like that to all of a sudden running in the 18s. So it, it happened pretty fast. And then I finally had the courage to register for another marathon. And uh, I was lucky that it was right here locally. It was an inaugural marathon, the Newport News Marathon. And I ended up winning. And the rest is kind of history. Yeah. Was that second marathon you won? Yeah. What was your time? It was uh, 311. So it, it was local. It was small. Um, but yeah, I dropped about 50 minutes. I was surprised. I, I didn't go in thinking a specific time. I just wanted it to be a better experience. And I definitely wasn't thinking about place or anything like that. That's amazing. So did you you enjoy this experience? I did. This one was a lot better. Yeah, I, I paced myself and I want to say a negative split by a few minutes. So yeah, I went out conservatively and I had gels on me that I took like every six, seven miles. And I learned how to, you know, grab the cups as I ran by and stuff like that. So yeah. It was a lot more enjoyable. And I still felt like even with that 311, that I could go a lot faster. That's amazing. So when was your next race? Was it another triathlon or was it a um, marathon? I started dabbling in tries. I was only doing sprints and Olympics at this point. So what made you start doing triathlons? Dealing with a breakup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I... I was depressed. Um, it was a bad breakup and I wasn't really getting out the house. I had stopped working on it at that point when I was going through what I was going through and I wanted a distraction. And then, you know, the whole bucket list thing again, I'm like, well, I have a swim background. I can run. I wonder how I do a triathlon. I want to try it. So I looked online and I live near Hampton University. So like near Buffalo Beach area. And they were, there happened to be a sprint. So it was a 500 swim, 500 yard swim a 10 mile bike and a 5k run. I'm like, all right, I can handle this. So I went to Dick's and I got a mountain bike. (laughs) You got a mountain bike? Yeah. I I didn't know that people, I didn't know the difference between like a road bike and a time trial. And I didn't know that there was like aluminum frames and carbon. Yeah, I know. It's it's a lot to learn. (laughs) Yes, wheels, everything. I I had no idea. I was so clueless back then. This wasn't even that long ago, but I was so clueless. So yeah, I was like, oh, I just need a bike. So I got a mountain bike. Of course my butt was getting passed left and right in the race and I'm like and I'm pedaling so hard I'm trying so hard I'm like, why aren't I going anywhere but you know I only had two weeks to prepare so I just got everything I needed I went and got goggles I got a membership at the local pool and yeah I started trying to learn how to ro- uh, run off the bike and two weeks later I did my first sprint triathlon that is amazing two weeks <laughs> It was a good distraction. I'm like, all right, well, now I'm not obsessing over this breakup. I just got to figure out how to swim, bike, run. So after that, what made you desire to keep on doing the triathlons and to improve to a high level? I would say I started thinking that way. Actually, do you know Tony Reed? I love Tony Reed, yes. I consider him my mentor. He was like, you should come to our annual event. It's in Dallas. There'll be a, you can do the Dallas Marathon. And he was like, I think you could be pretty competitive at it. And 
He's like, you should come out and Meb's, Meb Kutleski's going to speak there and you can meet Marilyn Bevins. She's the first Black woman ever break three hours. And, and then this is where I learned about the list that Ted Corbett's son, Gary Corbett, puts together, female Black marathoners. And I saw how short the list was of women that had broke three hours in the marathon. And, and going to Dallas, I just learned so much like history and everything. And I started kind of just getting intrigued, like, well, how do I make that sub three hour list? And now I wanted to be competitive. So I'm happy that he talked me into going to Dallas. I'd actually never even traveled for a race before. For whatever reason in my mind, I thought you had to be, yeah, I thought you had to be like a pro athlete to travel somewhere to race. Like I just didn't understand all of this stuff. I was still so just like wet behind the ears. So um yeah, Tony, I would say it was pretty instrumental in that was the first time I traveled for a race. It hurt so bad. So I live in a completely flat area. And I didn't realize how hilly Dallas was. I didn't either. I've never run in Dallas. I run in Houston, but not Dallas. Uh, yeah, some people, they're like, it's not hilly. But I'm like, well, when you go somewhere that's like pancake flat, you're at sea level, and then you throw in some hills, it hurts. I remember at like mile 17, I started thinking about dropping out. But I was like, no, just stick it out, stick it out. And I ended up kind of coming around and I ended up running my way into fourth place for the women, I want to say. And I, again, dropped a few minutes. So I was like, all right, this is good. So I would say on the marathon side, that inspired me to pursue trying to get under three hours. And then on the triathlon side, I loved that with the Black Marathon Association, the, the interest and just like the meetup and the history and everything and like learning about distance running as a sport with African-Americans. And I started, sort of started doing the same thing with triathlon, like trying to understand why there was such lack of diversity. And then, you know, I learned that there had been only one black pro to date in triathlon. I was like, there has never been a female before. So, you know, I even picked Max's brain a little bit about how he went and got his pro card. Yeah, it just, it became my goal. I wanted to see how much faster I could get and if I could achieve that, you know, level, that pro level. Did you have a coach at that time? I did. I got my first coach. And so no, with the marathons and everything, I coached myself. And even for my first few triathlons, I coached myself. And I turned use the term coach loosely. I just like look Googled and, you know, use stuff online. But when I did want to when I registered for my first half Ironman, in 2016, that was when I was like, okay, I need a coach to get me through this half Ironman and see how much you know faster I could get. I wanted to qualify for 70.3 worlds. So I got a coach, Coach Suze. How did you find your coach? How did you go about the process? See, this was actually something amazing that Sarah Gross, she's a professional triathlete and she's she started that whole 50 women to Kona the concept of like us equality basically at that like right now they're only doing percent they're not it's not even it's not equal it's not 50 men 50 women it's 50 men I think and then like a certain percentage of women so it's not even but she kind of wanted to get that message out there and she wanted to help get more women in the sport of triathlon so you could actually there's there was this program that you could apply to which I did and if you got selected they uh, matched you with a coach and they coached you for want to say six months free of charge that's amazing so yeah it was awesome so I told my story that you know I was trying to get faster and possibly get my pro card eventually and that I wanted to move up to the half Ironman distance so they selected me and I got paired with coach Suze for six months and then I continued working with her for another six months so I want to say we worked together for two years in total and it helped like having a coach people do ask me they're like when do you know if you should get a coach or not and for me because triathlon was so new to me I, and I didn't know how to like properly take in nutrition during the race it's like well what do you drink on the bike when do you how much do you eat if I'm doing a half Ironman how many how much mileage do I need to get in on the weekends and you know like all these little things so she was instrumental in like getting me familiarized with the sport and she did in fact helped me qualify for 70.3 worlds in 2017 and she got my time down a lot i did my first half ironman eagle man actually and that's where i met khadijah for the first time and i had no idea what i was doing i'm like what is this thing that we just signed up for i don't understand but yeah so i got through eagle man that was my first one and i think it was like i did it in five hours and 30 minutes but then coach sue's got me down to by 
you have Ironman later. I think I got my time down to like four hours and 50 minutes or something. So she was really helpful. And now I'm working with coach Johnny. How did you transition to a new coach? Um, I wanted to step things up another level. I thought coach Suze was amazing at taking somebody who's new and didn't know what the heck they were doing and getting them to a good, like, I felt like I developed a great fitness base from her, but in terms of like getting to the pro level, I wanted somebody that was coaching other professional athletes that has coached age group athletes to a pro level. I wanted somebody who would help me get to that next level that had coached other pros that has coached amateurs who turned pro. And then also one of the things I struggle with the most is the bike and power output. So I wanted mm-hmm. somebody who really knew how to help improve my power on the bike. Like that was their focus. So I interviewed a lot of coaches actually. And I settled on coach Johnny because he was a former pro. He's won Ironman Canada and he was coaching some really talented triathletes. One of them, Jen Annett. She actually holds the world record in the bike on an Ironman in an Ironman race. So yeah, I just felt like we gelled really well. And, you know, I expressed to him that I wanted to get to that level and I wanted to get my pro card and I felt like he truly believed in me. So that was something big too, that I was looking for somebody that believed that they could get me to that level. Pretty awesome. I don't think I would have done my first, even my sprint without, without a coach, maybe because I couldn't swim. So I had to learn how to swim. (laughs) And I, I mean, I could run and bike, but putting all three together is another story. I mean, the fact that I couldn't swim, but I even when I did my first duathlon, it's different when you do the sports together. I'm like, oh, I can run, I can bike. You do them together, it's like, okay, this is harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> the water all disoriented, like, where am I? And then when you get off the bike, you're like, your legs are jello and you got to run. It, it's weird. And it's- your heart rate is like, I'm like, why is my heart beating so fast? And then my coach was like, that's normal. <laughs> <laughs> when you first take off the gun goes off and you start swimming you're like you know you, you feel like your lungs are collapsing like how the heck am I gonna get this swim and then still bike and run after I don't know <laughs> I know it's amazing so when when you ha- had the goal to become the first black female professional triathlete was that through your interactions with Tony just seeing what you could do his encouragement or what made you determine that you wanted to do that. Oh, I'm just like that in general. It's always, as soon as I did high jump my senior year of high school, I'm like, I want to go to college and I'm going to do this in college. And then when I got to college, I'm like, I want to go to NCAA. NCAA. Anytime I try something, I always want to get the best out of myself. I think about what the highest level I can achieve and what I'm doing. And, you know, with the marathon, it was sub three hours. Like that was a really big goal, huge goal of mine. And then with triathlon, same thing. It was like, all right, well, how how can I get myself to qualify, get myself fit and fast enough to qualify for my pro card? So anytime I go after anything, it's like, go big or go home with me. I've, I've always been that way. Yeah. That's amazing. Tell me about the time you actually broke the sub three marathon. Oh, okay. So that was recently. So in 2017, I tried it. and. I ended up running three hours and six seconds. So I missed it by six seconds. Yes. I was devastated. I worked my ass off for that. I was so sad. I cried. I was like depressed for a week over it. And then coach Johnny feels like he's one of those coaches where he really wants you to focus on your weaknesses. So once I did that, like when I hired him, he's like, all right, we really need to step back from all this running and you need to focus on the swim and the bike. So he cut my mileage way down. He was like, doing marathons is not going to fit into your schedule. So, you know, you really got to just leave that behind for now, but it'll be worth it. After I didn't break the three hours, I was like, all right, well, I don't know when I'm ever going to get this opportunity again. Right. And then the pandemic happened last year. So it's like, okay, well, what now? I need to stay motivated. So he's like, well, we can revisit this whole marathon thing, you know, like see if we can get you in a marathon. And I'll start ramping up your mileage. The pools were closed. I couldn't swim. So I had extra time and um, we cut back on the bike. At the time, I was kind of dealing with some niggling injuries from the bike. 
So we just started ramping up my mileage and I was lucky enough that we were allowed to have a small race out here, a marathon. And uh, we just prepped for that. Yeah. So yeah, the one and only goal was to break three hours and I had some really great workouts heading into it. But then a few weeks before I started falling apart a little. So I think he was worried that I wasn't going to break three. So he was like, let's just go out conservative. Don't go through the half marathon faster than one hour and 30 minutes and then see what you can do like the last half of it. So I went out in like 129.57, so like right even where he said. And then as the race went on, I felt okay at 17, even by mile 20, where I usually start feeling pretty bad. I still felt okay with 10K left. So I just kind of took off and I just looked at the women in front of me and just tried to like rein them in. And my pace dropped pretty fast. It was, I was holding strong and um, I came through the second half in 127. So yeah, I ended up crossing the line in 257.13 and I was like, hey, finally broke three hours. And then I puked everywhere. I puked everywhere at the finish line. It was very embarrassing, but I was happy. <laughs> you puke? Uh, you always puke at the finish line? No, never. Oh, no, oh, you did. I was just saying you puke everywhere. Okay. <laughs> no, I never puked, but I did that day. <laughs> was it nervous or what, do you think? Um, I think it was a combination of so I stopped looking at my watch and I wasn't even, and you're so delirious, I guess, at this point. So I'm like, am I under three? Like, I just couldn't even tell. So I was really just going all out those last few miles and it ended up being pretty warm that day. It was beautiful to start, but then it got hot. And then with COVID, there were fewer aid stations than I'm used to. So I think like lack of hydration and stuff, my stomach started getting a little upset because I was taking in gels and I wasn't able to like drink as much fluid to get them down. So I think it was just a combination, combination. of all. So out of the three disciplines, I take it running is your favorite. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's what's that saying. It's so funny. It's like, why be good at one when you can be bad at all three? <laughs> I think you're amazing at all. I guess swimming is your second and bikes the least favorite out of the three. Uh, no, no, I, I've grown to love. the. I will. I won't say love, but I have grown to like the bike I, because I'm still figuring it out, like gears and shifting and being out on the road. And like, you know, it's even fun now we have Swift and, you know, we can do group rides virtually and stuff like that. So I'm starting to really love the bike more. I would say the swim is my least favorite. It's really? Just, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it doesn't matter how fit you are. It's all about getting a feel for the water. And it's like all about proper propulsion and like, you know, a kick and and all these little things. And it's not necessarily like you can be in really good shape. And that doesn't necessarily translate to a fast swim. So it's like no matter how hard I try, the swim is still a struggle for me. That's true. That is so true. So true. What's your favorite? Actually, it's the bike. It used to be running, but... I'm slow and it seems like the older I get and all my injuries, it's hard to to get back to what I was before. But biking, I feel like if I put time in, it's like I see improvements. So that's why I enjoy it. And I don't get injured biking as much as I do trying to run fast. But I enjoy swimming. I, I mean, I used to hate it because I was scared, but it's kind of calming. It's not my favorite, but it's calming and the fact that I realize I can swim now, I can be a little bit more calm, but I still get nervous and freak out in open water. Tell me about your um, Ironman 70.3 Texas, that race. Yeah, so that was April 2019, and that was when I was going after my pro card. I developed a really great aerobic base, and I my power was just amazing on the bike, so I was really fit heading into that race. And the few races that I had done beforehand going into it showed that there was a you know possibility that I could maybe get my pro card. I'd done 70.3 Atlantic City before that race and I missed winning my age group by only like 30 seconds. I finally broke 130 in the run and the half marathon at the end and my, my bike times were getting more competitive. So I was like, okay, maybe Texas will be my race. And so I flew out there and unfortunately it wasn't a rolling start like so many of the race starts we have now where it's fastest to slowest where you kind of just feed yourself but this one was 
age group wave starts where they assigned you a time and I was one of the last on the course and Texas is a pretty big race. I want to say there's like 2000 or something competitors. So I was already a little nervous about going so far back because you know how it is with half irons. You get such a mix of people from like first timers on a mountain bike and who don't really know what they're doing and stuff because I've been there. But yeah, after I got out the water, I I didn't have that great of a swim and I remember getting on my bike and I remember how crowded the course was. Like I had to run way back outline just to get past people and to like clear up the road so I got going I had a disc wheel went on my bike or on my back and I was flying it was only 27 miles per hour and the road was kind of narrow and I was coming up on a lot of people who uh, they didn't really know what they were doing they have good bike handling skills exactly there we go that's a good way of putting it and one I was told that somebody in front of me they were passing somebody else and they Mm -hmm. didn't look that I was coming. I mean, how right on the right, you pass on the left. Well, so Mm -hmm. I'm coming, trying to pass, then they're also trying to pass and didn't look. So I swerved to avoid them, but unfortunately, I hit like a median in the road, a barricade in the road that was to protect us from traffic. And I flew face forward into the pavement. I don't remember anything. It was completely knocked out. I woke up hours later in the ER pretty much just getting my face stitched back together. I had 40 stitches to six sections of my face. My teeth were loose. I'd broken my nose. I had road rash all over my body. I was just in a great deal of pain and I was very out of it. I didn't really know why I was there. I thought maybe I had been in a car accident on the way home from the race. And So you didn't realize you didn't even finish the race? No, of course, as I was laying there, I was trying to think, you know, like, well, what's the last thing I remember? And all I really remembered was swimming. So I was like, okay, well, I guess the doctors are right. <laughs> I did crash on a bike and I just, you know, I, that, that's why I'm here. But it was pretty bad. It was shocking. I wasn't sure of the severity of the situation. I wanted to see a mirror. Like I asked for a mirror. They didn't want to give me a mirror. So I asked for my cell phone and, you know, I'm taking selfies and like looking at the camera and trying to assess what's going on. I mean, my facial injuries were just absolutely horrific. Yeah, it was, it was really, really tough. You know, I, I was there alone, but luckily Tony Reed, who you had, he had come to the race and he was kind of doing a little vacation down there to spectate and he met me at the hospital and he talked to my parents who were actually traveling. They were in Morocco at the time. And so we had to like coordinate everything to get me up north uh, to New York to stay with my parents. And, you know, he got me to the, you know, I had to stay overnight at the hospital and everything, but he got me to the airport. And, and yeah, it was just, it was, the first few weeks were a nightmare, really. You know, I had to go see a neurologist to see, make sure my brain was functioning okay. And I, I was looping. I was telling the same stories again. I didn't realize that I was head injury. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't deal with like loud sounds and bright lights. And then, you know, because my teeth were loose, they had to put a splint in my mouth to like hold my teeth in place to help them heal before they could do any type of surgery. And then of course, you know, I had to see plastic surgeons to assess, you know, like how my face was going to heal and get the stitches out. And yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. (laughs) How long was the um, the time between your injury and your actual surgery? And did you have more than one surgery? Um, I had multiple oral surgeries. I I didn't realize that there were so many different like doctors in the dental field, like endodontists, and you know all I thought there was was just like a what is it that we see? Um, I just thought there was just a dentist, dentist, and all that like OMFS or oral maxillar facial surgery. And like, you know, I would go see one, and he's like, "Well, you need to see this one instead. That's what they do." And then you go to that one, like, "Okay, well, I can do this. You need to go see that one." It's like, "Oh God!" You know, luckily with my nose, they were able to manually fix it in the ER when I was there. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I don't know. And they're like, "Well, you can wait, and then you got to go in for certain surgery to get your nose fixed, so we can do it right now." So I got that done pretty quickly. And believe it or not, actually, last year I had to have my face open back up again. They didn't clean out all the debris. I know okay. I healed very well, but yeah, they had to cut it open. I ended up getting like, I don't know, 10 more stitches or something in my face. It was crazy. But yeah, it was just a long process. I had to see a lot of different specialists every day for a few weeks, but my parents were awesome. Um, my job let me uh, take some time off and then work remotely for my parents' house and, and until I could just heal. 
but I was lucky that I didn't break any major limbs. I didn't break my legs or my arms or anything like that. So I was able to get out and like get active again after I was in clearance. And I think that helped kind of speed up the recovery process. So how did you find the motivation to get back into to training and get back into your goals of becoming a professional triathlete? Yeah, it was hard. I really had to ask myself, was this worth it? Season two, I will start a new series called Ask the Doc. If you have questions related to musculoskeletal injuries or musculoskeletal health, please send me a voicemail. Go to my website at www.weouilove.com. Click on the tab Voicemail. Leave your voicemail and select messages will be aired and answered on the segment. Now back to the episode. Yeah, it was hard. I really had to ask myself, was this worth it? Especially looking. So certain injuries, you know, there's nothing worse, I feel like, than facial injuries. Because it's like every single time you look in the mirror, you're reminded of it. And it's like, oh my God, is it worth it? Like, I'm going to be single the rest of my life. This is just awful. But I would say two things. My dad, pretty early on, he asked me, it's like, if you knew all this was going to happen, but you'd still go on to turn pro, would you go through with it? And I didn't hesitate. I was like, absolutely. Like even going through all this, if I still can achieve that and get my pro card, then yeah, I I would go through all this. And then the second thing is, and I've talked about this a few times, when I say to my parents, I got like fan mail, (laughs) but some of them were from kids. Mm -hmm. Like their parents followed me on social media and like would show their kids and everything. And then when the accident happened, the kids were like, oh no, and like would draw they drew pictures and mailed them to me and they were like, I hope you get back out there, Sika, and, and stuff like that. So it was like, oh my gosh, people are actually watching and they care and like representation is important. And these young black kids, and they were actually black females, these young black girls, they're they're looking to me to see what I'm gonna do and like maybe maybe I'm inspiring them to possibly take up the sport. So I was like, yeah, I'm not ready to quit just yet. And I still feel like I have so much more room for improvement. Like I know that it's there. I just need to be at the right place in the right time. So I think that's why I got back into it. So the the letters helped motivate you to keep going? Yeah, they really did. Yeah, they motivated me just so much. It was incredible. I wasn't expecting that. That's wonderful. So after you got back to training, how did you get over like the apprehension and the fear, particularly on the bike? It's funny because I feel like I'm dealing with it now more than ever. So initially it wasn't that hard for me to get back on a bike because I had associated my crash with like a car accident, like being on a bike never really scared me. So I think in some ways it's good that I don't remember anything. And then Cervelo, the bike brand, was they heard my story and that I was still wanting to get back out there and race. And they sent me this beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I saw your picture of your bike. I'm like, that's amazing. Yes, yep. So, like, I couldn't wait to ride it. And then Hud sent me wheel matching wheels. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is so dope. I can't wait to get back out there. So the first time I was uh, able to go out and ride, I rode like 60 miles. And I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous and I actually that day there happened to be a century ride going on and I didn't participate in it I didn't want to be around anybody but uh, it started super early in the morning so I knew when I got out there that they would just be kind of cleaning up like there wouldn't be as many people but there might still be uh, help out there so I was like all right let me just kind of go in the same direction general direction of this course and I think that helped so yeah, I, I was actually okay getting back out there. That part wasn't hard. But believe it or not, because I got back to training and racing so quickly, I think that helped. But now that I've been out of it because of COVID, okay. yeah, I haven't done anything since the Ironman World Championships in October 2019. I'm actually a little nervous. About going back out there. Yeah, I'm more nervous now than I was after my accident. Mm-hmm. You're nervous about the whole race or the cycling? Mm, the cycling specifically. Yeah. 
do you do most of your training, I guess, prior to COVID and prior to your accident? Do you do most of your cycling outside or inside or combination of both? Uh, mostly indoors. So um, once it's warm outside on the weekends, I do all my long rides outside. But uh, during the week, I don't I don't live somewhere where I can just hop on my bike, like leave my house, hop on my bike and go run or go ride. I have to drive about 30 minutes away, which makes it hard during the week with work and, you know, all that stuff. So, so yeah, I, I have a pretty sweet setup at home with a Saris H3 hammer and then I also use training road and I use Swift. Tell me about your first race after your accident. I'm crazy. And I signed up for one, two months after my accident. I was still bandaged up. I got hot mess. I couldn't still. So I had, I did a lot of, I had a lot of neck injuries. I had trouble turning my head left, right up, down because when I crashed, it was just head on. So I was still like swimming in the pool with a snorkel. And I saw that there was one right outside of DC, a rep three race. And I was like, oh, it's just a sprint. Like, okay, that'll be a good introduction back for me, a sprint. So I signed up for it. You know, I texted my mom. I'm like, hey, I just signed up for a race. What on earth? I'm like, I know. I'm like, do you think two months is too soon? She's like, 10 years is too soon for you to be doing this. I know. So she's like, I'm coming. So she hopped on the Amtrak and she took the train out so that she could be there with me. And, you know, we were both, I, I think she was more nervous than, than I was. Like, bless her heart, my poor mother. Uh, even now, she's just like, oh my gosh, like, please just hurry up and get your pro card and be done with this. So, so we, we went to, we did a, we went up to right outside of New York, or not New York, sorry, right outside of DC in Montclair, Virginia. I did Rev3, the Rev3 sprint race there. And I was a little bit of a mess. I was shaky. I was nervous. My swim, it was hard because of like having to breathe from my head and stuff. But then once I got on the bike and I got, got going, I started to feel like me, like athletic and like passing people and competitive. And as the race went on, I, started picking people off and improving and like one second on the run course of course it was like all right like you're done like yeah <laughs> so it was like all right I'm back sort of although it was funny not too long after that happened my body began to shut down it was like too much too soon oh okay so you had to rest oh yeah yeah I didn't want to want to keep going but my body was had enough I was so fatigued I it was one of those things where every day I felt like I just couldn't get enough sleep. Like I would want to do a workout at lunch and my body's just like, nope, you need a nap. I just had to listen to myself and kind of reset again. Do you find it hard to balance those times where you, you your body says rest and you'd be like, no, I really want to go. Yes. And it's like, it's like back and forth. It is. And I would think most triathletes do because it's, we're just training so much and so often. And then, you know, like you, we're working full time. I, it's not like sports is my, um, my job. So I have a full-time corporate job. So it's just balancing all that. But then, yeah, I know that you have to put the work in. I know that most of the time you are going to feel tired and not want to do the workouts, but that's really when you need to do it. Like in order to improve, you just have to string together week, day after day, week after week, month. Consistency. Exactly. Consistency is key. Like if you're not consistent, you're not going to excel at the sport or like many things. So it's a hard balance between listening to yourself, like your body and not overdoing it, but also still pushing through. And it, it's something that I'm still figuring out and learning, I think. Well, I'm I'm the poster child for doing too much. I had surgery in December and it's like I'm trying to find a balance between rehab, doing too much. I did too much two weeks ago and I couldn't do anything for a week. So it's it's hard because I want my my mind is like in its training mode, but I'm still in the rehab mode, which is a little different. So I find it hard too. It is, yeah. I think most people who gravitate towards these sports are like go getters and just go go go, and you know we don't always treat ourselves well. And, and I hate with injuries and stuff when you know you're on the verge of one and you're like, I should probably just not, or, or you're about to get sick. You start the sniffles, you're like, all right, I'm probably about to get sick, but I'm still going to go out and I'm going to do this workout anyway. And then bam, the next day you're either sick or you're injured. And it's like, if I had just taken that one off, now I'm knocked out of this for like at least a week, all because I didn't just listen to my body. I'm guilty. Or listen to my coach or my physical therapist. 
Well, we're smart people, but you, you're like, eh, going to do it. I'm going to be stupid and do this anyway. So tell me about your next race. Was it Augusta, the 70, 70.3? Yeah, Augusta 70.3. That was my big race. That was the, the week of my accident, I want to say. I decided once I was like, okay, I'm coming back to the sport. I'm going to do this. I put all my eggs in one basket with 70.3 Augusta. I'm like, I'm still going to try to get my pro card, even though it was like five months after the crash. And, you know, Augusta is a huge race. I think it's like the second most, the second biggest. That was my first 70.3, Augusta. And yeah, that was my first, 18. Okay. All right, cool. So the year before me, yeah. And you know how hot that race is. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, part of the reason why I chose it was because I thought the swim was going to be really fast, but they've changed the flow of the water. It wasn't no. even- that's why I picked it because I, <laughs> girl, no, I was like, I'm not going anywhere with the lies. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. I know they changed the boat and then they also changed the course, the bike course. It's hillier now, which is actually okay because I heard people complain a lot about all the railroad tracks in the previous oh, course. Mm, yeah. So to get rid of the railroad tracks, you they changed it so that we go through the backcountry area and there are a lot more hills. So it's kind of like, eh, I'd rather be flatter, but at least I don't have to deal with the railroad tracks up. Anyway, I told Coach Johnny, I was like, I know that I'm messed up and we're still trying to figure this out, but I'm going to do Augusta and I just, I still want to try to get my pro card. So, and for people who are listening in order to get your pro card. Um, that was one of my questions. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, so USA Triathlon puts out the rules every year. They typically don't change. But one of the ways to qualify is if you get top three amateur at a qualifying race and a qualifying race is one where there's a pro field and I think the pro prize purse has to be greater than 20 grand. So they're generally big, big races and they're competitive races. Um, there has, the field has to be a certain size. So uh, Augusta was a qualifying race. So I would have to come in top three female amateur overall in order to get my pro card so yeah i i prepped the best that i could and i got through my god-awful swim and you know my parents are like me the pity clap as i got the water i'm like always so bad oh my all right this one's behind me whatever and it was slow and then uh i got on the bike and i was actually very confident on the bike. I don't think I was ever nervous. It's a pretty open road, I want to say, with Augusta. And it was a rolling start. So I started pretty early, like in the field. So when I got on the bike course, it was there weren't really that many people around me. Uh, I did had a pretty good effort on the bike. I went from, I want to say I was like 130th out of the water for the women, something bad. And then I rode my way into like top 30. And then the run, of course, is my strength. So I just went out as hard as I could, really, probably a little too hard, but I was trying to beat the heat because it just, it was so hot and sunny. So I took off at a pretty fast pace and I gradually just like reeled some of the women in and I ended up having the fastest women's uh, amateur run split that day. So I was really happy with my run, but Unfortunately, I crossed the finish line and, you know, my parents are tracking everything. And I'm like, well, what place did I get? I was looking for top three and I ended up coming in six. So I was like three, three, four minutes off of, yeah, top three. So it was disappointing, you know, like in the moment, I was really upset. I was angry. I was just like, I'm not cut out for this sport. I'm done. Like, I just gave it everything and I still didn't get it. Like, what am I doing? And But now looking back, Yes, five months after your accident. Yeah, I look back and I'm like, that's pretty freaking crazy that I, you know, have that type of performance so soon after such a serious accident. Tell me about racing Kona. How was your experience? Oh my gosh. Never again. No, it was, oh my gosh, it was life changing. It was just so amazing to be around literally like the fittest humans in the world. And the thing about Kona is, everybody's talented. Like, you know, I, I know when we watch the broadcast, they show like some slow people trying to make the cutoff and they look like they're moving so slow, but everybody who's there has either qualified. So they're one of the top amateurs in the world or they have gone through the, what is it? The legacy? Legacy to 12, 12 races. I think 12 Ironman. 
So everybody's just really good. And I was kind of a fish out of water. And it happened to be my first Ironman. So people listening, I didn't actually qualify for this race. I was lucky that I'm sponsored by Hoka. And they are one of the title sponsors for Ironman. So they are given a free slot that they can give to one of their athletes. And with my crash and coming back and trying to get my pro card, they were like, we'd love to give you a slot. So most people would say yes right away. Like, oh, heck yeah. I'm going. I had to sleep on that one. I'm like, am I ready for a full Ironman at Kona at the World Championships after everything that has happened? And it also was two weeks after Augusta. So I'm like, am I going to be recovered? But after talking to my parents and my coach and just, well, of course, my mom was like, please, no, don't do this. Like, <laughs> Why can't you just do a small local race? But I'm like, Kona, like, World Championship. <laughs> She's like, I, I, you know, like, mom, what should I do? And she's like, I'm not going to let you stress me out. My father's like, yeah, like, let's go to Hawaii. Like, I'm in. My mom's like, I need to divorce him behind it all. Oh, no. So, like, lots of family drama. She's like, I'm not going to let you and your father stress me out. So, so yeah, we were all in. We're like, all right, let's, let's do it. Like, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. I've watched it every year, the NBC broadcast, and, and, and there's still nothing like it being there in person. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I want to go watch. <laughs> Thing, yeah, it's the the heat and the wind, and um, the wind is like is unlike anything. It's That's what I've heard. Oh, it's crazy! It's like you're pedaling and just not going anywhere. You have to like lean. Sometimes it'll be you'll get a crosswind, and you have to lean into it so that you don't topple over. And it's also you'll get a headwind heading out to Javi, and then you're like, okay, maybe it'll be. A Headwind when I turn around and come back. No, it's like no. somehow it changes and it's still a headwind. It just never stops blowing. Is it flat? Oh gosh, no. No, okay. so it's hills and wind. Yes. Oh, oh gosh, it's not flat <laughs> at all. The only time it's flat is really when you're on the Queen K, I guess. It's sort of flat, but no, the climb up to Hubby is like 16 miles long. It's it's brutal. I want to say it's only maybe 5,000 feet elevation gain, but that's a lot like the yeah it's it's pretty it's hard and then also the thing also I was like heading into it I'm like okay well I'll take a break at certain stops I'll have to turn around when we get our nutrition back I'll stop there but nobody stopped like everybody just kept going I guess everybody's used to it and talented and like but nobody ever stopped so I had to keep going too and yeah, it was uh, after the funny thing is after I got off the water, my dad was like, yeah, I was cheering for you. And you like didn't acknowledge me. That's the first time you never you didn't acknowledge me getting out the water. I'm like, dude, like I just I was mad. Like I was my dad even talked me into it. Like after the 2.4 mile swim, I wanted to be done at that point. It's like, oh, gosh, OK, now I need to go ride 112 miles. So what kept you going? Gosh, so many people invested in me you know, Hoka giving me the slot. Uh, my dad was there. I knew my friends and my family were tracking me. I'm not a quitter. I know that I'm physically capable of it. It's just like my mind, I needed to just conquer like all of the feelings of wanting to quit. Uh, and I knew if I kept and like most things and even races, as long as I keep moving forward, it's just, it's not about stopping. Like as long as you can just keep moving forward, you're going to get out of those really bad, dark places. Even in marathons and stuff, there's always going to be a point where I'm going to hit. But that's when you really have to concentrate on doing the opposite. Like, no, just keep moving, keep moving. Yeah. And then somehow you find a way out of it. And and then sometimes you go back into it. So yeah, <laughs> it's a long day. <laughs> I was heading back into town uh, so I could transition to the marathon. And I saw Roderick. You will. Yes, I interviewed him. He's amazing. Oh, he's incredible. He was using the hand cranks, which had to have been so much harder in the wind. But and I cheered for him actually, and he he was so focused. Like I don't think he even it didn't even register that I was there. He said he remembered seeing you there though. He but he didn't actually get to be. He you. cheered for me on the run course, and I was at a bad place at that time, so I didn't acknowledge him then. So it's funny where you are in the race, like who you acknowledge or whatever. But I saw him, and he was so incredible. And I was so inspired by that. I'm like, okay, that's got to be so much harder. So I was like, all right, just keep going, Sika. So I think that helped. And then by the time I finished the bike leg, I got into the tent to transition to the marathon. And I'm just like, no, I'm not going. Out. I'm not going back out there. I'm like, you can't make me. I'm not running a marathon. <laughs> like, 
it's just I was just sitting in one of those white folding chairs and I felt like I was moving slow but everybody was moving fast like all the women are just like you know putting on changing outfits Mm -hmm. and and then the volunteers are coming over like ma'am are you okay and I'm like not really like I'm not okay Like you know, what's wrong? And I'm like, I, I don't want to run a marathon right now. Like, are you kidding me? You could see the hotel from the tent. <laughs> but and I had been in there for a while, and I knew my dad was standing out the tent, probably wondering like what's going. On. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking about little things like that. I was like, all right, Roderick is out there freaking with the push rim down on the, the course, like, and he's killing it, like, okay, get your butt out there. Sita. So I just started looking at what the other women were doing and they were putting their sneakers on and they were just moving. They kept moving. So I was like, all right, if I can just keep moving. If I could just even walk, just walk out of the tent, like you'll be okay. And surprisingly that, that helped a lot, just moving and getting out of the tent. So it went from me walking to all of a sudden jogging to running the marathon. And my coach was there. And I saw him. So when you, the first part of the run is in town and it's incredible because Mm -hmm. everybody's there cheering loud, helicopters, music. And like, all of a sudden you go from feeling zero to 10 and you're like, all right, I got this. So I started running very fast. Was it too fast? Slow down. And I'm like, no, no, I got this. I got this. So then I got to the climb on Kalani, which is just like straight forward or straight up. So you go from like flat town, you know, lively music, people to climbing Kwani. Then you're out on the Queen K where pretty much no spectators are allowed. It's just just the volunteers and it's quiet and desolate. And you're like running through on the highway through the lava fields. Mm-hmm. And it's hot and the sun's radiating off the, the pavement. And at this point, you're start. it's all hitting like, <laughs> like the pain is setting in again. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the energy lab where it's just like, that's where most people fall apart. I mean, it's just ridiculously hot. You're only at the turnaround at that point. And that's where people start. Like I started seeing the, like the, the sag vehicles that could take you back into town. I'm like, maybe I should just hitch a ride and like be mm-hmm. done with this day. And, and, and it was, that was a brutal, brutal marathon. I never drank Coke actually never. in a triathlon before. Never. And my coach is like, if things get really bad, just start drinking Coke. So I'm like, Coke it is. So, <laughs> Did it help? Oh my gosh, yeah. Now I see why people drink Coke. <laughs> this is, So that did help. I, I want to say I ended up running like a 330-something marathon. So <laughs> it, it, it helped. Yeah, for sure. I was like, as bad as I felt and as much as I wanted to just walk and quit, like the importance of still moving forward, like you really do not know what you're capable of unless you put yourself in a position to see what you're capable of, really. And that's what I learned. So like looking back, like there were so many times when I could have quit and I felt like I had justifiable reason. Like I had a horrible crash over in the year. It was my first full Ironman. It's at the world championships. And I just raced Augusta two weeks before. So I started going through a long list of reasons why it was okay for me to quit, but I had to just keep talking myself out of it. And I kept thinking about how, depressing the flight home like with my dad flying back if I quit like how Mm -hmm. sad we were both gonna be but how awesome and amazing like that night and the days after we're gonna feel if I finish so I just tried to look at the positive like the rewards that will come from getting through this like crazy feat so I think that's what helped me finish also and you're never alone. Like there are other people going through that too. I mean, maybe not the IT fan issues, but in terms of like quitting and stuff, I'm sure the cool thing about these type of races is you're on the same course as the pros. So I actually saw when I was on the bike, I saw Jan Ferdano fly by, I saw Tio, I saw with the women, Lucy Charles. At one point I saw um, Danielle Reef. I saw that Danielle Reef was actually like in 12th place or something. So I was like, oh wow, she's having a really bad race. And she had cameras in her face. You know, because I'm sure like the reigning world champion is, you know, falling off the pace and blah, blah, blah. But she still kept going. So I'm like, no matter how fast or slow you are, like everybody is in their own world of pain at different times and struggling and they're having thoughts of quitting and stuff like these endurance races go on for so long. Do you have like mantras or things you say to yourself when you get in like situations? I know I do in swimming because that's what freaks me out the worst, particularly the first couple minutes. 
And then I kind of calmed down. When I think about quitting or I'm struggling really bad, I usually just repeat, you're stronger than you realize. Yeah, that's usually what I tell myself, that I'm tougher than even I, I realize. And then, I don't know, like even deciding to do certain things, like races, I'll... So like, I totally believe, I say YOLO, like you only live once because I mean, you really might as well. Like you only got this one shot. You might as well just this one life. You might as well just go all out and give it a try. But yeah, when I'm suffering the most, it's usually like, I'll just keep saying you're tough. Like you're so tough. You're strong. You got this. So just like positive affirmations and, or like, you know, you've been there, you've been here before and you've gotten through it. So what else is on your bucket list besides your pro card, which I know you will get soon? Oh, I hope so. Other things. I started getting into ultra running last year during the pandemic. What's your next race if it depended on COVID and the pandemic? Yeah, in two weeks. I'm supposed to do Challenge Miami 70.3. So the half Ironman down there, it's March 14th. And yeah, it'll be my first triathlon since Kona. So We'll see. I feel kind of like rusty and usually it takes me a while. Like I need to do a few races to get back into things. So I'm not expecting big things to happen at this one, but I am looking forward to like finally getting one in again and, you know, just getting my body used to it. So, so I have that one. And then I'm also supposed to do challenge Cancun in May. And I also registered for Ironman 70.3 Eagle Man in June. So Knock on wood, these races will happen. Yeah. I have a question for you. I know you gave Tony Reed some tips on um, swimming flip turns. I would break it up into parts. So the first part is like using your arm to propel you forward and push you down. And then when you flip, think like you should actually be upside down. Like think about putting your feet on the wall upside down, like you're about to do backstroke off the wall. Okay. And I would do that a few times, like break it up into parts. So practice like flipping on your back and then going into actual backstroke. I think people get confused when they're like, they're flipping and then they have to turn around and they have to go back into freestyle. So practice doing the flip, kicking off the wall and just doing backstroke first and then eventually turn over like, instead of doing backstroke, flip over to your stomach, but but work on the, the actual flip, kicking off the wall on your back. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to try that. <laughs> try yeah. That. I think we'll try to put together too many pieces and it gets all crazy, all funky. So any last minute words of advice for my listeners regarding swimming, running, triathlons, or just life? Um, you only live once. Like if you don't know how to swim and you're like, I really... I really want to learn how to swim. I want to do my first try. Just take swim lessons. Yeah. Like it's, you're never too old to take swim lessons. Or if you're like, I really want to do a triathlon, sign up for a try and just, you know, make that your goal. I think goals are so important to have. Uh, it keeps us like moving forward and gives us something to look forward to, I guess, and keeps us motivated. So just keep writing goals, I guess. That's what keeps me going. I do it at work and I do it with sports. And yeah. And then it's like once you get a check mark next to one, it's like, okay, on to the next one. So how do you find time to train with your full time job? Oh, I don't. I'm tired all the time. <laughs> I'm like a zombie. It helps now working from home full time because like I don't have to get up an hour earlier to like, you know, shower and drive to work and all that. So yeah, commute. There we go. So I think that helps. I train on my lunch break and my coworkers know about all this morning stuff. So like they don't put anything on my calendar during my lunch break. So I usually do my first workout at lunch and then I do my second one after I get off work at 5, 530. And yeah, so I train twice a day every day. And then on the weekends is when I can get the most volume in. But it's hard. It's exhausting. And my job is demanding, but I, I really like what I do for work. So it doesn't, it doesn't take energy out of me. I feel like if you're doing something you don't like, or you're working, like you have a crappy boss or something yeah, like that, right. driving you crazy. Yeah. All that's just during drains your energy. But when you're doing what you really like, and I'm, I'm lucky that I get to do what I like, I think that helps. Yeah. But it, it's hard, like training at this level and working at the same time, for sure. It's not, I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. So how do you have time for a social life? I don't. <laughs> 
I have no social life. I'm boring. I'm I'm boring. I'm a homebody. But I'm an introvert, and even if it wasn't for all this, I would still be that. Any like I, I like sitting at home watching Netflix and having a glass of wine at night or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, wine helps. Probably. Yeah, I don't really. I'm very close to my family and their understanding of this stuff. So like they're flying to Miami with me to like come cheer me on at races. So that's when I find time for family. Like I'm not married. I don't have kids and I'm still chasing this goal, like time consuming goal. So yeah, I do ask myself. But you enjoy, you enjoy the chase. If it was miserable, it'll be a different story though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes it is miserable. (laughs) <laughs> but the good outweighs the bad. Yeah, y'all, you wouldn't keep doing it though. That we agree on. That we agree on. But yeah, no. Like earlier today, I had a brick. I had to bike, and then I had to get off the bike and run eight miles. I'm like three miles into the run. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is awful. Like, I just want to walk home. I hate this. Blah blah blah. But then, of course, you finish, and you're like, oh, well, I feel good. Yeah. <laughs> so, where can people find you? Um, I'm active on social media, especially Instagram. I'm at Sika Henry, so S-I-K-A-H-E-N-R-Y, and I'm on, oh, I joined Strava (laughs) during the pandemic. I will put all your links on on my show notes, and I thank you. I've been a fangirl of yours for years. That wraps up this episode of Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you already haven't, please download Running is Cheaper Than Therapy podcast on Apple, Spotify, or however you listen to your favorite podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or possible show topics, please email runitischeaperthantherapy, O-L-B, Omaha Love Brown. Again, that's runitischeaperthantherapy, Omaha Love Brown, at gmail.com. I also can be reached via Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Handle We Life, We Love. O-U-I Life, O-U-I Love. Thank you, and please tune in again.